profitable for everyone. I am going to be mostly uh, drawing lessons from the Old Testament. Certainly, we'll be bouncing around a little bit, but our primary source material is going to be from the Old Testament. And I understand you're, you're doing some Bible classes uh, in the Old Testament, and I just think that if we can see the practical value, we can see the, uh, the continued uh, applicability of the Old Testament. Uh, we do so very well to recognize that, that whatever God has said at any time He has said it remains valuable, and it does not uh, decrease in value. And I, I recognize that we need to understand the distinctions between Old and New Testament. And no doubt you're, you're making those distinctions as you're, as you're studying. And that we, we don't live under the Old Covenant. But we live under a covenant uh, with the same God who made that covenant then. And really the premise of the covenant is the same. I'll be your God and you'll be my people. And it's based on faith as it always has been. And that's what Paul points out as he's teaching uh, the, the brethren in Rome is, is that Jesus is really not asking anything different than God has ever asked. It is that you trust in Him, follow His ways. And that's what God's always wanted. And so I think as we look back at these Old Testament stories, what we'll find is, is these are people who have relationships with God that look very much, some of the particulars may be different, but the, they look very much essentially like our relationships with God. And so we can learn a great deal from them. What we're going to be looking at this evening is a lesson on parenting from the Old Testament and particularly from the life uh, of Moses and, uh, and that of his parents. Um, Moses' parents are, um, are, are worthy of note, worthy of attention. It is an extraordinary uh, maybe even a bit of an understatement. It is an extraordinary circumstance in which they bring their son into the world and the life that he lives is extraordinary. And the part that they play is critical in that. And so we're going to consider that as we go through uh, the lesson this evening. I think as we, uh, as we look at his parents, Amram and, and Jochebed, they're not even mentioned here in, Ecclesiastes, I mean, in Exodus chapter 2. You just read through that story and, and they're not mentioned. They are mentioned in other places later in the book of Exodus and over in the book of Numbers. Their names are given to us, so we're not, we're not left not knowing who they are. And I think that that just tells us something that we learn very often in scriptures, and that is that God is not as concerned about us knowing all the names and all the details. What he wants us to know is his story. right? That's what shines above all the the details that maybe we would like to know sometimes. But we do get their names, and I'm glad for that, that we can call them by name. I think one of the most important things about them is that their faith is highlighted. If you keep your finger there and just turn over to Hebrews chapter 11, uh, among those, not again, not by name, but among those who are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, they get this in verse 23, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. Now, of course, it... it the, the grammar there seems to point to it being Moses' faith. Obviously, that's not possible uh, as he's an infant child. He's not the one who is displaying faith when he is hidden for three months. Rather, it's his parents who are hidden by faith. It says because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. We'll come back to that notion as to why they displayed the faith. He was a beautiful child in just a few moments. But nevertheless, let's, let's turn back over to Exodus chapter 2 
And uh, let's just think through some things uh, about the parenting uh, that Amram and Jochebed had to do when they brought Moses into the world. What is the situation? If you go back to chapter 1, you find that the situation uh, opens up very differently than Genesis chapter 50 closes. Genesis 50 closes with Jacob's family coming into Egypt and living there, and living there in some degree of privilege. Uh, they, are, they are the children of Jacob, but more importantly, the relatives of Joseph, who has saved Egypt from total destruction as the rest of the world was suffering under a famine Egypt was prospering all because of this man Joseph and so his family is welcomed with open arms by the Pharaoh but when we open up Exodus chapter 1 a Pharaoh has risen to the throne who doesn't remember Joseph kind of like the people who arose who knew not God uh, in the time of the judges so we've, we've got a Pharaoh who knows not Joseph and so he looks at the people very differently than that previous Pharaoh not with gratitude but with fear and concern and so he begins to put them under harsh conditions, uh, labor, and, uh, and, and not only harsh conditions, but the fear goes all the way to the point uh, of um, making an edict to um, commit infanticide and, and kill all of the male children. And so in so many ways, it just, it just deteriorates as, as far as you can imagine it doing. And so when we come into chapter 2, that's the world that we're coming into. And it says in verse 1, A man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket and covered it over with tar and pitch. And then she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. His sisters stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile with her maidens walking alongside the Nile. And she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid, and she brought it to her. And when she opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the boy was crying, and she had pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go ahead. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. The child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses and said, Because I drew him out of water. And so that's the, the story of, of Moses' beginnings. It's a story that is very familiar to us. Um, and generally we are focusing on Moses, reasonably so, because he is the the prominent character in the story uh, of the Exodus. But I just want to think through that from the standpoint of his parents and make some observations that I think are necessarily true uh, based on what we read in this story. In the first place, think about the faith that it takes to even have children when you are in the place that Moses' parents are in. Um, you can read a lot of articles about the unwise decision of bringing children into this world. Uh, we live in a world right now that is increasingly telling people it is irresponsible to bring children into this world. And certainly to bring multiple children into this world is, a, is an utterly foolish decision. 
And, uh, and all kinds of arguments are get, given for that. Uh, we, we've got overpopulation, not enough resources. Um, it's a, it's a, a world full of turmoil, and it seems to be increasing in turmoil at times. And so we just, we just feel that it's not a safe place, it's not a, a prudent thing to bring children into the world. And, and just to be honest, bringing children into the world is a drain. I mean, when, when you think about having children, people will ask all the time. There's a young man that recently asked me, what do I need to expect? And, and the only thing I know to tell him is that you cannot be prepared. You, you can't. Now, there are some things that you can be prepared about, but the lack of sleep is, is not something I think you can be prepared for. You say, oh, I've, I've had all-nighters. Not like this you had. Right? It's, so it's, it's really going to be a drain, and they're going to drain you financially. And they're going to. There's going to be nights that you just think, "What? What were we thinking?" And then, and then your memory fades enough that you go, "Let's do that again, <laughs> right? Let's have another one of those." And so you you almost have at least some sympathy with people who say, "Why? Why do you do this?" And I don't entirely know. I don't, except that I know that after it's all said and done, we feel like it was worth it, don't we? You know, and so, so we, we balance it out and we weigh it out and we say this was worthwhile. Whatever the cost, it was worthwhile. What did Moses' parents bring him into? They brought him into slavery. If, if you were an enslaved people, would you say, I think we need to have children? Or would you say, I don't want my children to come into this world? I think you might even be a little bit justified at least to have that feeling. To say, I don't think this is a place you need to bring children into. So they, they, they had him into slavery. They were an oppressed minority. And not only an oppressed racial minority, but an oppressed religious minority. They, they bore their son into a world covered up with idolatry. Egypt, Egypt is a case study in idolatry. Uh, they... they are the precursors to what we generally study as mythology. Egypt was far more engaged in idolatry uh, than later uh, societies would be. And so they had gods for every aspect of life. And of course their Pharaoh was considered a deity or at least a son of deity. And so they were saturated with that idolatry. And in fact, I think as you read through the, the plagues that come, what you can find is some very interesting connections between the, the very elements of creation that God uses to attack the Egyptians and the gods that they thought had control over those elements. And God is showing them one by one, your gods are not in control, I am. But that, that nation of idolatry is, is what Moses is born into. And so you could, you could conceive that Moses' parents would think it's going to be very difficult to bring up a man, to bring up a child who loves God in this kind of environment. Worst of all, they had a child when children were under the death penalty. Male children, specifically. You bring a child into that world. There are people in this world who have done just that. Uh, we have a, a friend in Montgomery where I preached for eight years who was from China whose life was spared because her grandfather 
talked her mother into not going to have the abortion that would have been mandated by the government of China because she already had a son and, uh, and she didn't want to be in trouble. And so that mother was convinced by her father not to go and she tells that story now uh, and links it with her rebirth in Christ. It's a beautiful story. So this is not so foreign, right? This is not something that, that can happen today. There can be people today who have children in those sorts of circumstances. But what I want to say is, as bad as we might think it is to have children, there are people who still talk about, I just don't know if she should have kids in, in 2019 America. Are you kidding me? What a breeze it is to bring children into this world. Uh, with all the comforts and ease that we enjoy. Maybe the, the danger is the comforts. That's probably what we need to worry more about than the distresses. The distresses might actually build some character. We're not losing our children because it's tough. We're losing our children because it's too easy. And so in the face of all of that difficulty, they still had faith, I think, in, in what God had to say about children instead of what the world might have to say about having children. So over in Psalm 127, for instance, Psalm 127, which is a, a passage we might be familiar with with regards to children. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. We need to... We need to develop a mindset, maintain a mindset towards children that parallels this. That says even if all of that is going on, this is worth it. This is worth it. And so I appreciate that they even have Moses at this time. We need to be reminded of the, the glory of motherhood as it is repeatedly belittled and maybe even shamed in many places. Uh, we have a, a young couple at Pepper Road and uh, they both uh, went to school at Auburn and while they were there they were converted and became Christians and uh, she has a degree in chemical engineering and he's an electrical engineer and uh, she decided uh, after she became a Christian that what she really wanted to be was a wife and mother. And her parents are baffled. How on earth could you throw away a career that would be full of prestige? And, and particularly for a woman to be a chemical engineer, you're going to get accolades and, and so forth, and you could just throw that away? And it's because what she thinks about motherhood is what Paul says about motherhood over in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And in verse 15, in 1 Timothy 2 and in verse 15 he says, Women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity and, uh, with self-restraint. I don't know that I understand everything that Paul is saying here about the preservation of woman through the bearing of children. But I do understand this. I do, what, I do understand that what he's saying is this is what makes womanhood most glorious. Now you might say, well, what about women who can't have children? Well, it is a sad thing. And in fact, it ought to be a sad thing. As you read through the Bible, when women couldn't have children, it was not great. I'm not saying you can't be a wonderful person. 
But that's not supposed to be a happy thing. And people act like it's no, there's no difference. Right? There's no difference in having children and not. It's not true. It's just like marriage and not marriage. Are there advantages to not being married? Absolutely. But what does God say? Not good. It's not good for man to be alone. Paul says it can be profitable, right? You can, you can have some advantages, he says in 1 Corinthians 7. But it's not what you should like. It's not what you should hold up and say, this is God's purpose. That's not God's purpose. And not having children is not God's purpose. And so we need to think about having children like God thinks about having children. One more thing I think about that. And maybe, maybe two things, but they go hand in hand. And that is that, that we need to have the faith when we bring children into this world that it is possible to not only bring children in this world, but to bring them in with confidence that we can raise them up in the way that they should go. And when Proverbs 22 and, and verse 6 says, bring them up, we bring the children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, or rather, excuse me, bring them up in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I realize that the, the Proverbs are proverbial, right? That's obvious, stating the obvious. And yet, what they are doing is stating a rule. Does that have exceptions? Certainly. Certainly, we, we can go all through the Proverbs and find exceptions to the rules. But what I'm tired of is people acting like Proverbs is the exception. Right? What Proverbs has to say is the exception. No, it's not the exception. It's the rule. And so generally speaking, the rule is that you can have confidence that, that if, if I have children, God has given me what I need to be able to raise those children the way He wants to with confidence that they will grow up and love the Lord. And people act so helpless about that. Like it's a flip of the coin, a roll of the dice. Who knows? It's just all left to chance. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I believe what God has done is said, Here, I'm putting this in your hands. And you have the, the capability. And I believe that Moses' parents used, and we'll talk more about how they did that in a little bit, but I think that we need to, we need to enter into that relationship with some faith just like we enter into our marriages with faith. People, when they're getting married, don't need to say, I hope this works out. They need to say, this is going to work out. Why? Because we've decided. We've made some promises and some commitments. So we're not going to passively sit back and see what happens. We're going to determine what happens. And so the same thing with our children. We're not going to passively just see how they turn out. We're going to already know what we want. We're going to... We're going to have a vision of the end product. And we're going to take steps all along the way to guide them in that direction. But I tell you what, that's what it is going to take, is a clear vision of the end product. When, when John writes in 3 John, chapter, uh, 3 John verse 4, that I have no greater joy than to hear that my children uh, walk in the truth. No greater joy. I'm afraid one of the biggest problems we have is we don't have a clarity about what we are wanting from our children. We want them to be great athletes, great scholars. We want them to be uh, situated in successful careers, successful marriages, successful social circles. And we want all of those things and we want them, I think, I think as Christians, we also want them to be Christians but only equally with all those other things at best. I'll tell you what, we ought to want them to be Christians so badly 
that if they are illiterate and if they are penniless but go into heaven, we would be pleased. We could live with that. That's why I, I tell my daughters, I want them to do well in school and I push them to do well with their schoolwork and I, and I, I push them to, uh, to pursue things and to put their, all of their energies in because I think that teaches them things. And so I, I want all of that, but I tell them, if you fail all your tests and you can't get a job and you have to live with me for the rest of your life, but you love God and serve Him and go to heaven, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. It's not what I want. That's not my first choice. But my only, my only issue that matters is are they going to go to heaven? It's the only thing I care about. I have no greater joy than to hear just that. Well, the faith... Uh, continues and, and tied to that not only the faith to, to have Moses but also the faith to protect Moses. It is certainly possible to bring children into this world without any faith at all unfortunately. It takes, it takes very little intention in fact uh, to bring children into this world. People do it all the time wishing that they had not. But it is not possible to take decisive action and raise your children in a godly way without faith. Too many people bring their children into this world with no intentions as to what they're going to do when they get here. I don't know, based on the wording, I don't know that Moses' parents had all the intentionality that they needed to before Moses got here. It certainly does say in Hebrews 11:23 and in Exodus 2 and verse 2 that when they saw when they saw that the child was beautiful that they determined to hide him now you might look at that and you might go so i mean if he had been ugly was it going to be lights out i don't think that's it at all i, I, I certainly don't think that that it's a situation where you know it all hinged on a cute smile I think one thing that might help us is understanding the word beautiful. So the word beautiful there is used repeatedly throughout Genesis chapter 1. And where it's used is when God looks at what He's created, and you know what He says, it is good. And He says that over and over, all throughout the creation, it is good. It is good. It's the same word for beautiful. And uh, what does God mean by that? I think what he means is it's, it's just what I meant for it to be. Right? It has purpose. It does have beauty. But beauty not in the, not in the sense of magazine beauty or, or, or things of that nature, but beauty in the sense that all children are. That when you see a baby, it has an effect on you. It ought to. I know men that it's had a great effect on. I know a man who did not believe in God until he was standing in the hospital room and the nurse put his first son into his arms. Changed his world. He said, this is not an accident. You see, he saw that his child was good. He saw that it was beautiful. Beautiful in a way that it could not have just happened. Beautiful in a way that he could never just throw this to the side or consider, consider this a, a clump of cells. No, that wouldn't work anymore. It worked ten minutes ago, but it wouldn't work then changes you. I don't know that there was a massive transformation, but I think what they see is what we all see when we see our first child. There's, there's something that shifts for you. 
And so they could not possibly do what Pharaoh had told them to do with this child. I don't know that they were contemplating it doing before he got here, but the decision was firm once he got here. Can't do it. I think that that power is still there. I think that we can note that that power is still there because one of the things that people who are uh, proponents of abortion will push against is that women ought to have to look at an ultrasound before they have an abortion. That women ought to have to look in a real way at what they're about to do. They, they don't want doctors to be able to show a, a model of the size and shape and makeup of their baby as they're about to destroy it. Because what they know is the number of abortions would plummet dramatically. Because people have a hard time looking. I'm not saying everybody would. But there are so many people who would not be able to look their baby in the face and then kill it. And Moses, I mean, Amram and Jochebed were among that number that said, well, I can't do that. I don't know what exactly we'll do, but I can't do that. And so we'll, we'll come up with something else to do. I think for us, I doubt there are any in here considering abortion, that that would be on the table even, even in your uh, farthest reaches. But I think for us, what we've got to do is we've got to consider that, that our children still do need protecting. They're not, they're not under the death penalty in that way, but uh, spiritual death is around the corner at every turn. And uh, I'm afraid too often we hand our children over to an idolatrous world. And in large measure we say, you raise them, I'll feed them. And that is so dangerous. The world, does, the world is at utter odds with what we believe I mean it is it is a war zone and parents consistently hand their children over to that world whether it be uh, whether it be through sending them to school and paying no attention to what they're learning or whether it be turning the television on because what a great babysitter that is and walking away and just let them soak it in soak it in and then we wonder why why their faith is so shaken is because they hear the truth a couple of hours a week. And they hear Satan's lies nonstop every day. And, and so we've got to work harder to protect our children. Somebody says, well, you can't protect them forever. I remember a friend of mine was talking about um, the school system and so forth where he was living at one time. It was, it was a really rough school system. and He was talking to one of the teachers and she had just won teacher of the year. And, uh, and so he was talking with her about his girls and he said, um, you know, what, what are your suggestions and so forth uh, for my kids? Obviously, you're a good educator. And she said, sir, you, you have sweet, sweet children. And if you want to keep them that way, you need to take them home and teach them there. Now, this was, this was the educator of the year. And he said, you know, what people said is you can't protect them forever. And he said, I know, but I can when they're five. One day, I am going to have to let them go all on their own. But I, I'm afraid, what, here, here's what I'm afraid we've done. Mark chapter 10 and verse 15, Jesus talks about the little children. The kingdom is made uh, up of such, such as these. 
Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14, however, says we need to move on. Don't no longer be children. Here's what I think in this world we have. We have children in one sense who are growing up faster than they ever have. Or at least in, in our uh, recent history. They know more about worldliness than grown men used to know. At ages before teens and so all of their innocence all the things that Jesus says the qualities that make up citizens of the kingdom those childlike that honesty and that trust and that innocence all of that's taken away and in so all of those ways in which Jesus says we need to be children they're being robbed of it and on the other side in the ways that Paul says we need to move on from being children, they're being encouraged to stay children. And so nobody's growing up and taking on responsibility. People are living with their parents longer and longer and longer and, 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 and not learning to, to care for themselves. And so we need to grow up. We need to stop growing up. And we've got it utterly backwards. We've got to work on protecting our children from all of that. We've got to teach them to be grown, to be people who are thoughtful and industrious and hard workers, because it takes hard work to be a Christian, and people who maintain some level of innocence and trust and godlessness in a world that is so full of all of those things. Well, I think one more thing, and maybe the most important thing about Amram and Jochebed is the faith they had in the actual raising of Moses. Somebody, uh, I, I love to hear, I say that ironically, I love to hear people talk about parenting who don't have children. That's got to be one of the most entertaining things in the world. I'll tell you what I would do. Yes, do. Right? I'll just sit here. Please. Expound on all the parenting wisdom that you have without children. I know the Apostle Paul did talk about parenting. Incidentally, he didn't say what most of those people say. And uh, they fail to realize that a lot, a lot of times. And so, what happens is, like any good battle plan, you make it. And then the children get here. And the plan goes out the window. I try to make all those plans. And I think some of that's valuable. I mean, I think you need to. I think I, I don't think you need to just, you know, say, well, there's no way to prepare. No, there are there are helpful things. And we went around and we talked to people whose children were what we wanted. I mean, we saw the product and we said, I want that. We're going to talk to their parents. And so we did. And we got good advice and helpful advice, so much better than what's sold in Barnes & Noble. And there's so many wonderful things. But I'll tell you what was more important is we continue to call those people after the children got here. I have, I have a, a grandfather who had five children. And among those five children are five Christians, one who has gone on to his reward. He has got four, five, six, seven, eight grandchildren. All of them are Christians. Four of those grandchildren, five of them are married, married to Christians. And now he's got three 
great-grandchildren who are Christians. I call him. And I say, what do I do here? Because I want what he's got. I, I want my grandchildren. I don't want just my children. I want my grandchildren to be faithful. I want to be sitting around with my great-grandchildren one day at Thanksgiving like we do, singing hymns when we get together because everybody comes together and loves the Lord. I don't want to have those broken holidays. Some do and some don't. And what are we going to do about cousin so-and-so who's fallen away? I don't want that. I know, I know those things can happen in spite of our best efforts. But I want what they have. Now here's, here's what I'll say about that though. What do you do? How do you figure out how to parent in this particular situation? There are no rules specifically for what Amram and Jochebed are going through. There are no there are no parenting books at Barnes and Noble going to help you out when you're going through what Amram and Jochebed are going through. Tell you what you have to do. You have to rely on the wisdom of God and faith. And you have to press forward making the wisest decisions that you can as they come to you. So often people feel hopeless if the things that they think have to be in place to raise faithful children aren't in place. I get somewhat tired of hearing parents say, well, we, we need to be in a congregation with lots of faithful children. I'm sure that's what Moses had. That's probably, probably what got him through, is having all those faithful children, all those faithful Jewish children around him. No, he didn't have that. What we need is... Uh, we need to make sure that we have uh, the, the right amounts of um, sports and activities. We don't want our children to miss out on any of those things. I, I bet that's what Moses' deal was. I'm sure that's what helped John the Baptist. Right? He, he was in good rec leagues being raised in the wilderness, in the desert. That's where it says he was raised. Where, where uh, in the latter part of Luke, Luke chapter 1 and verse 80. His parents didn't rely on the village. They relied on the Lord. And that's where our reliance needs to be. It's going to require some application because you're not going to be able to find specific passages for the things that come up. You know, people ask, uh, especially people without kids, um, will say, well, what, do you, what do you do when that happens? Well, sometimes I do this, and sometimes I do this, and sometimes I just handle it really badly. I mean, you know, we try. But I think what we can't do is think that if the specific situation is not specifically addressed, that, that we don't have responsibility. When, when there child came into this world, when Moses came into the world and he's under the death penalty, the faithful thing to do was hide that child from the threat. When they could no longer do that, the faithful thing to do was to set him among the reeds and pray for his safety. And when the daughter of the one who had issued the death decree decides to raise him, and says, would you be his nursemaid instead of his mother? 
the faithful thing to do was say, I'll do everything I can to protect and raise him up. And aren't we all glad he, that she did? What, what, a, what a blessing to the world Moses has been. Because they just took the next step as it came and said, what's the most faithful decision we can make right now? We don't have, we don't have all the things that we want. We don't have all the, the financial resources that we might want. We can't get them into the schools that we want. What, what, what do we need to do right now? You look to God and you look to His wisdom and you apply it the best you can. And frankly, you lean on others who have done it well. And you learn from them and you learn from that experience. There are parents who will not share their experience and it's frustrating. I think sometimes we, we especially, I don't know, you may see these billboards that are saying to parents, um, parents, parents worry a lot that they're not doing it right in, in this modern age. Now, the, the worries that they have are not the right worries, right? They're worried they're not doing it right because their kid fell out of a tree. You're not doing anything wrong if your kid fell out of a tree. You're probably doing something right if your kid fell out of a tree. They're worried about all the wrong things and none of the right things. And there are billboards being put up saying, you are doing just fine. Folks, look around you. You're not doing just fine. And I'm afraid that we have two extremes where we, we, we worry that we're not making the right decision. I don't know. I mean, when, when Moses comes into the world, there is no rule book for that. All you know is, I've got to protect this child. And so I don't know what, you know, specifically putting him in a basket in the water, is that the thing to do? It's, it's the best thing that they knew how to do to protect him at that moment. And sometimes you're going to feel like that. You're just going to do the best you can. But on the other hand, it's the best they can based on faithfulness. Right? Based on a love for that child and a love for God. And so we've got to combine those two things and we've got to move forward praying for guidance and then following the guidance. We pray as, as, uh, as Jesus counseled us to pray in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 11. We pray for our, our daily bread. But then what do we do? Then we go to work so that we can buy the daily bread. We do both of those things. We pray to know how to make the right decisions, but then we, we learn and we, we grasp at and we strive to get that wisdom so that we can apply it in the case of our children. It is not easy. I, I, there was a, a young man not too long ago I was talking to who had had his first child. And, uh, and somebody was asking him, how is it? And he said, everybody said it was so, going to be so hard. He said, this is, this is not that hard. I was terrified. And I still am. I think that he is going to take the easy path. And I think the world's going to get his son. Because I think the way he's going through is he's not recognizing that there are threats. He's going to just go on like normal. What if Moses' parents, he comes into the world and say, well, this is what we did with the last two. Well, guess what? Pharaoh didn't say, kill your last two. So you've got to change the game plan. 
And you've got to address the difficulties as they come. The one thing that I will say about calling my granddad is that, you know, there is a little bit of a difficulty because when I say, what did you do with Mom and, and Uncle Eddie when they wanted to play video games? Well, that wasn't a problem. Screen time wasn't an issue in 1956. But I tell you what, he still gives me wisdom that I can apply in 2019. And so we still use that same wisdom. The circumstances change. The situations are different. But we, we adjust because God's wisdom gives us the capacity. What God does tell us is this. You have everything you need. you got, you got all the wisdom you need at your disposal. And I think we need to take more responsibility. I see parents with three, four, five-year-old children who they have no control over. And they'll say, I don't know why they're acting like that. I'm like, I do. It's what you've taught them to act like. Children, especially at that age, do what they're taught to do. And if they're taught to be out of control, they will be out of control. And guess what? Do you know what else? They don't want to be. They don't want to be out of control. But you've got, to, you've got to take hold of that, take responsibility for that, and not just look at the circumstances and say, well, it just is what it is. It will be if you don't do anything. You've got to do something. You've got to step up, take responsibility, and guide that child in the way that he or she ought to go. And what you will find is that you can produce children who can stare at the face of all the riches of the world. That's what, that's what Egypt is. All the riches of the world. And walk away from it for faith in God and in the glory of His people. That's what you can do. That's what you can raise. In the worst circumstances, in far more difficult circumstances than this country and time have to offer. So, don't let the world define the worth of children for you. Let God's Word define that worth. Maintain that worth. Preach it. Preach it to yourself. And preach it to others. When, when people talk about the difficulty of children, don't let that happen without mingling it with the joy. I, I'll admit there's difficulty. Don't, I, don't get me wrong. I don't want to be a Pollyanna here and overlook the, the reality. But we need to be people who communicate, just like Christians in general, we need to communicate the joy of being parents. Don't lose sight of what our job is as caretakers of those souls. We, we're going to answer for that. It is a sobering thing when you bring a child into the world and realize that you hold eternity in your hands. And you'll stand before God about which direction you pointed them as they drifted off on their own. Now maybe they, maybe they turn that sail in another direction after they get away from you. I understand. But did you push them firmly, consistently, and with love in the right direction? That's what I'll have to answer for. And no matter what your circumstances are, if you decide to follow God, and you place that before them as the most important thing, there's nothing that can be more powerful than that. People all the time talk about their children have bad influences. 
do you know that there can be no one that has a greater influence? If you, if you take it, there can be no one who has a greater influence in your child's life than you. They won't spend more time with anybody else than you in the years that are most important in shaping who they are. How are you using that time? Are you making sure that they understand what's most important? Too often, what I find is parents say, I don't know what happened. And what generally happens is this. Their children take up as most important in their lives what their parents communicated was most important. The parents just didn't realize what they were communicating. They did it without purpose. They drifted along uh, taking the path of least resistance. And their parents have the conviction, the residual conviction maybe of their own parents, and so they stick around and they don't leave the church, but they never were very active or interested, not very convicted. And frankly, when compromises had to be made, they made them. And their children saw all that. And so their children really did take the path that they pushed them down. And I'm afraid too often I hear parents say, I did everything I could. And I think, are you sure about that? I think there are cases like that. Don't get me wrong. I'm going to tell you what. If, when I see my children veering, I look right here. When I hear my children talk uh, to each other or about other people, what I do is I listen for the way I talk to people and about other people. When I hear them talk about God's Word with reverence or, God forbid, irreverence, I think, have I shown that? And so what I'm saying is what we've got to do is we've got to look and, and instead of, of seeing something that we are disconnected from, we are only mildly involved in, take it on and say, this is mine. This is mine to deal with. These are my children. And as much as I can, with all that I have within me, I hope that I will instill a faith. I hope I'll instill a faith like the one we're about to sing about. Where they can look back and lean on it and have confidence in it like like Paul said to Timothy, that faith that was first in your mother and your grandmother. And I see it just coming right down the line. I think sometimes we think that's not possible. Every generation is going to get a little bit farther down the road. It's just not true. It doesn't have to be true. I think if anything, Moses is more faithful than his parents. He didn't just take up where, where they were and drift a little bit. No, he went the other direction and became even a greater example of faith than his parents. I look back at my grandfather. His, his father was not a very strong Christian. But he didn't just, he wasn't satisfied with that. He did enough to raise my grandfather in, in a way that gave him a love for the Lord. And he took that and he rose up. And then he produced children who became just as zealous as him who raised children in their turn who became zealous. It's possible. It's possible to produce generational faithfulness. And so we need to have that in our sights. If you're here this evening and, and you're not a, a Christian, 
I hope that you feel about your children that that's the most important thing. Maybe you don't have children though. I hope that you recognize that there is nothing in this world, whatever your life is like, there's nothing in this world that will be as satisfying, just as it was satisfying for John to hear of it in others. There's nothing more satisfying than knowing that you have that relationship with God. And so if you don't have that this evening, I hope that we've communicated that as well. And if you have a need to reconcile yourself with God and we can help you in any way in doing that, won't you come forward while we stand and while we sing?